Hey everybody, welcome. This is Kathy Baker and I want to welcome you to Living Forward. I am in the middle of a wonderful series that I've called The Healing Miracles of Jesus Then and Now. And today I want to teach lesson four, Jesus Heals a Paralyzed Man. Our passage is found in Mark chapter two, verses one through 12. To prepare us for that, I want you to be thinking of examples of how you have either received love and support when you've gone through a hard time, such as sickness or the death of a loved one, a tragedy, something like that, or when you have given love and support for somebody else going through a really hard time. Because we're going to see today about four men who did some wondrous things to help their friend who was going through a very difficult time. And so we're going to make that connection of how we can either be on the receiving end or the giving end of doing wonderful things to help people in their healing. We'll see in our story today that Jesus returns to Capernaum where he has launched his ministry of teaching and he has performed a wide array of miracles in this area. Capernaum was the metropolis of Galilee and it was one of the most prosperous and crowded districts in all of Palestine. There were about 1,500 people who lived there and this is where Jesus set up his ministry headquarters. It's located on what is called the Via del Mar, and that means the way of the sea. And it was the headquarters for many Roman troops, so word about Jesus could spread all over the Roman Empire from there. Well, Capernaum is believed to be the hometown of some of the apostles, including Simon Peter, Andrew, James, John, and Matthew. Well, in the ruins of Capernaum today, there is an excavation known as the House of Peter. And it was wonderful to see that, the ruins there, and to begin to think and speculate about what happened in that home. And the idea is that perhaps Jesus had that as his home headquarters when he was in Capernaum. Well, like most early Roman period houses, it had a few small rooms and they were clustered around two open courtyards. Well, the homes of that time were one story with a flat roof that was accessed by steps on the outside of the house. Well, the roofs were used to to work and to sleep. These houses were Uh, covered with thatched roofs, and they were supported by wood beams and reeds that were bound together with a thick mud mortar. Now, that's going to be important to hold on to as we look at our story for today. Well, in Capernaum, there is what looks to be a fairly modern church, um, and it, it is set over the remains of a first century church. Well, it's so interesting to look at that and think that Jesus lived there for much of his ministry and kept returning there. 
And some think that this foundation may have belonged to the synagogue where Jesus worshipped. And so it's just fascinating to, to be in those places to see where Jesus walked and where he healed and where he preached and spread the good news. This city, Capernaum, was the backdrop for many of Christ's miracles. So let's dig into our scripture. We're reading from Mark 12. I'm sorry, Mark 2, and let's look at verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. Now, let's just imagine that excitement. Jesus has become known. Word had gotten out that Jesus was home, and the people rushed to this house to hear Jesus teach to them. It was so packed that the front door was blocked. Now, think about your own house being so full of people that you cannot squeeze in one more person. The word in Greek that describes being packed with visitors translates multitude. There were a multitude of people there. You know, at concerts, we might say this was standing room only. Well, in my Baptist upbringing, we would have called it, this is Pack-A-Pew night. So you get the idea. It was a full house. Let's continue to read. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Get the picture. Jesus is in the middle of the multitude preaching the word. The word of God then was interrupted. A paralyzed man had a need. And he had friends that were so moved by this man and his need that they picked up this man and his mat and they created a makeshift stretcher, probably with some ropes on the ends of it. When I was back then, people did not have these thick padded mattresses with big fluffy pillows for a bed. People simply slept on a mat. And when it was time to go to sleep, everyone grabbed his or her mat, which was rolled up and tucked away in a corner, and off they went, rolling the mat out wherever they were, and that is how they slept. Well, these men who were carrying our paralyzed man uh, knew they had a, a need on their hands, and they wanted to get through that crowd and get to Jesus Imagine how disappointed they must have been when they arrived too late to actually get in the front door. And then they got creative. They let their obstacle give way to an opportunity. See, they knew that old adage that said, where there's a will, there is a way. Well, in the biblical context, I call that using the creativity of God that lies within all believers. Which one of the four men you think had the thought? See, one of them had to say, hey guys, we can't get in through the front door, but we can get in through the roof. Let's go. 
Do you, can you imagine them trying to formulate the plan? We don't even know who the four were. Were they all four best friends? Were some of them family members? Was one a sibling? Were, was anybody a stranger and just came along because he knew that there was a need there? And then they, they must have consulted each other about this man and what his enormous need was. And so they formulated the plan and they said, let's go and up the outside steps, the men climbed, jockeying their makeshift stretcher, which was probably like a really wobbly mat. <laughs> well, Mark's account of four men from the village who removed the roof of a house by having dug through is what they call it, it is called. And they dug through this dried mud, this straw, the reeds, to lower the man into the crowded room so he could be healed. You know, I think it gives a new meaning to that, to that phrase, we're going to raise the roof. <laughs> Imagine being on the other side of that roof down below and hearing and watching this take place. What creative and bold men that I am calling the stretcher bearers. The stretcher bearers determined to get their friend to the healer. Have you ever been the one someone carried on a stretcher? Somebody who recognized your need swooped in and ministered to you. Have you had those people who stood in the gap for you, who were right there for you in your time of heartache? I've been the beneficiary of many stretcher bearers. I remember when my brother died tragically at the home I was building, we had many friends who swooped in and took over mundane tasks for us. My house was in the final stages of being built and it needed to be cleaned out, swept out, before painting could begin. The yard was ready for sod. And these friends, without asking, swooped in and took care of those mundane tasks. They were my stretcher bearers. Have you ever been the stretcher bearer for someone else? I know you have because most of you who are listening are a part of this wonderful group that I lead called Women of Worth. You are among the best stretcher bearers I know. This ministry is known for bearing stretchers. You send cards, you deliver balloons to somebody's home, you provide meals to sisters in need, you show up and you love on each other, you donate money to causes, you bring in supplies for the needy, you love and listen to each other through their trials. You're stretcher bearers. Let's continue to be mindful as, as wow, sisters, of the power of swooping in to help each other. This amazing story of the stretcher bearers, bearers results in healing because of the faith of the four friends. What a testimony you are when you support and carry someone's burdens. So let's go back into the house where the four men and the paralytic are working their way down into the room. So these stretcher bearers dug up the roof and they gently dropped this man right down in front of Jesus. And speaking of dropping, imagine the jaw drops. <laughs> what a moment in that room. 
Jesus is speaking, and then there is this interruption of the first degree. An interruption was needed to get the need to Jesus. It was a holy interruption. Interruptions. My brother died on a Wednesday. It was prayer meeting night at church. My son, 16 at the time, and a new driver drove to the church, opened the door to prayer meeting, walked to the front where the pastor stood and delivered the news to him. An interruption was needed so that others could take the need to Jesus on our behalf. What a spiritual interruption that was. He went right to the people who would pray who would end up as a multitude at the ER later that night. This multitude ministered to our family over the hours, the days, and the weeks to come. They were our stretcher bearers. Sometimes an interruption is needed in order to cause a spiritual stir. See, these four men needed an interruption to get their friend to Jesus They saw the interruption as the opportunity to overcome the obstacle. Let me say that again. They saw the interruption as the opportunity to overcome the obstacle. Are you facing an obstacle that's preventing you from getting healing in your body or in your soul or in your spirit? Are you facing an obstacle in a relationship? Are you facing an obstacle in any area of your life? Jesus will show you an opportunity to overcome the obstacle. And if necessary, he will help you through that holy imagination of yours to create a holy interruption in order to get the help you need. But it takes prayer and perseverance and a creative mind and a listening ear that are all tuned in to the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we are tuned in like that, God is going to give you the interruptions you need. That faithfulness to God through studying His Word and Worshiping him and praying to him will keep you connected to him. And then it is much easier to see the opportunities to overcome the obstacles. Then don't hesitate to interrupt Jesus. He's open to our interruptions. In this example, Jesus didn't miss a beat when the four men settled the paralytic down in front of him. Verse 5 tells us, seeing their faith. Jesus immediately saw the faith. The faith of the stretcher bearers and the paralytic man were demonstrated by this, their extraordinary efforts to take him to Jesus. Those who have true faith in Jesus Christ will be eager to do what is good. Titus 2 verse 14 tells us this, He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. 
See, that's what happens when we live a life of faith. We are committed to doing good deeds. And then James 2 verse 17 says, So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Jesus could see the faith of the five. Jesus looked up at the four men struggling with crude ropes tied to each corner of this stretcher with a paralytic on it. He looked at them and he saw their faith. Their faith could be seen. Their bold, determined action to bring their friend to Jesus proved they had real faith. Can it be said of us that others can see our faith? Well, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, this is back in our chapter, my child, your sins are forgiven. Hmm. Does this seem odd to you? The friends took him for a physical healing. We can imagine how the friends on the roof felt. They went to a lot of trouble to see their friend healed of his paralysis. And now the teacher only wants to forgive his sins. We might imagine the four shouting, No, he's paralyzed. We want him to walk, not to be forgiven. Hey, let him walk. Yet Jesus knew what the man's real need was and what his greatest need was. Here's what I read that one commentator said. What good was it if the man had two whole legs and walked right into hell with them? Mm, That is some food for thought, isn't it? I don't think Jesus meant that the paralyzed man was especially sinful or that his paralysis was directly caused by sin. Instead, Jesus addressed the man's greatest need and the greatest need of all of us. It it was the common root of all pain and suffering, and that is the man's sinful condition. That's a condition we all have. So we all need forgiveness, first and foremost. Well, let's not forget that the religious leaders, the religious elite, were following Jesus everywhere he went. And what Jesus said about forgiveness ruffled the feathers of the religious elite. Let's look at verse 6. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. The scribes now were right. They used right logic when they said this. They correctly believed that only God can forgive sins. And they are even correct for examining this new teacher. We must always do this. We must always filter teaching, biblical teaching, through the biblical perspective. Does it meet the guidelines in the Bible? And so their error, though, is that they refuse to see who Jesus is. They refuse to see that Jesus is the Son of God who has the authority to forgive sins. 
So Jesus understands their, their logic, and he agrees that only God can forgive. But they don't understand that he is the Son of God. He is a part of the Trinity. He is the Messiah, and he has been given the authority to forgive. Well, now verse 8 tells us Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. Other verses, versions say, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit. See, Jesus could read the evil thoughts they were having. It's hard to know if Jesus perceived this through his divine nature or through his human nature because he had a spiritual gift of discernment or a word of wisdom. See, many of you have this gift also, and you can listen to people, and you can observe what they say and what they do, and you know in your spirit what their intents are, and you know in your, your heart what is going on in their heart because you have the gift of discernment. But Jesus knew. He knew in his spirit, what they were thinking. So he asked them. He said this, why do you question this in your hearts? Verse 9, is it easier to say to the paralyzed man? And then he gives two options. He gives two choices for the religious elite. He says, was it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? Well, it's a logical assumption that if Jesus has the power to heal the man's disease, then he also has the authority to forgive his sins. So Jesus poses this question, which one is easier? Well, for us, both real forgiveness and the power to heal are really impossible on our own. But for God, both are easy. So Jesus is meeting the scribes on their own scholarly ground because they love to uh, dapple with theology. They love to argue over theology. Here's what William Barclay said about this. The rabbis had a saying, there is no sick man healed of all sickness until all his sins have been forgiven him. To the Jews, a sick man was a man with whom God was angry. See, these Jews believed that all suffering was a result of personal sin. But Jesus had been now on the uh, speaking circuit, if you will, preaching and teaching that this is not true. Remember, we learned last week when Jesus was asked about the man born blind, was it because of his sins or his parents' sins? And Jesus said, neither. This, in this case, he said, it's, he, he was blind so that God would receive glory. And he was going to see, receive glory in the healing that Jesus was going to give. Nevertheless, healing the man, this paralyzed man, Jesus knew, would give the most powerful evidence to them that Jesus really was authorized to forgive sins. So, first of all, Jesus then forgave the man his sins, 
And now he has this opportunity to reveal his power to heal. He is going to prove that he is the Son of God. Look at what we learn in verse 10. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Once again, see how intentional he is. Remember, Jesus always had a message that went with his miracles. He is now going to prove his divinity by both forgiving and healing. And that should be enough to convince everybody who observes that Jesus is who he says he is. So here's what he does. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Now, imagine the tension in this scene. Think of all of the onlookers, all of the eyewitnesses, and let's look at the tension. See, the scribes, those religious elite, they're tense because Jesus challenged them, and he said he would demonstrate he was the Son of God. And then there's that paralyzed man who's got to be tense because he's wondering if Jesus really would heal him. And then all those in the crowd were tense because they sensed the tension of everybody else. The owner of the house is tense because he wonders how much it's going to cost him to repair his roof. And the four friends are tense because they're getting tired by now. And the only one not tense was Jesus because he had perfect peace. How true is that for us when we are waiting? When we have taken our need to Jesus and we are waiting, we are tense, anxious, filled with worry and doubt. We often wring our hands, we cry, we ruminate, we huddle with our friends, we go back and forth in our mind, all wondering if God will do what he says. Well, here's the truth of that. It's not always going to be that we will have a miracle of complete healing. But he's always going to give us what we need. His perfect peace. What a message there is in that. We won't always get exactly what we ask in the form of healing but he will always give us the perfect peace in it. Look at verse 12 and see what happens. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. Look what it says. He jumped. It was immediate. He grabbed his mat. By the way, those mats have been popular devices in our healing stories, haven't they? It's because they were so useful and practical. They used them every day. Notice this man's obedience. He did what Jesus said. He jumped up. He grabbed that mat and he walked out through the multitude. The multitude saw. Now imagine if Jesus had failed. His ministry would be shattered. The crowd would slowly make their way out of the house dismissing this fake Jesus. Those scribes would smile and they would say, He can't heal or forgive. And they'd laugh and pat themselves on the back. And these four men would struggle to pull up that paralyzed man back through the roof. The men would look more depressed and embarrassed than ever. 
And that homeowner would look at his roof and think once again about the cost of repair. But Jesus didn't fail. And he cannot fail because all he needed to heal this man was his word. There's wonderful healing power in the word of Jesus, in the promises of Jesus for those who come to him in faith. This man came to Jesus in faith, encouraged by the faith of his friends. They were all amazed and praising God, exclaiming, listen to what they said. Those who watched this said, we've never seen anything like this before. Everyone there was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God. They were exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today, amazing things. They rejoiced with the healings of the one. The forgiveness and healing were purely and simply expressions of God's grace, prompted by the faith of the paralyzed man and his friends. It's important to remember that the forgiveness of sins does not always lead to immediate physical healing. Forgiveness of sin will lead to eventual physical healing at the second coming of Christ when we receive our resurrection bodies. But physical healing on this earth is not always immediately received. Sometimes we have a progressive healing. Or sometimes it's not received at all in this life. However, Jesus is always ready to tell us your sins are forgiven. And then he expects us to stay completely united with him by our own choice. This means that we forgive others. Our willingness to forgive is evident that we know, evidence that we know God's forgiveness. When we forgive others, it's proof that we truly understand that God has forgiven us. Forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive. When we don't, we leave ourselves open to the consequences of unforgiveness. And that will lead to a desperate need for healing. We all struggle with questions of healing, don't we? Who gets healed on earth, we might say. Why, why that person? Why doesn't she get healed? We don't know the answers. Jesus didn't heal everybody when he walked on earth. See, in that crowd of mul the multitude, in that home, in Capernaum, only one got healed. How many others were there that were sick, that were diseased, that had deformities and infirmities. One was healed. Remember, Jesus lived 30 years without healing anybody. God's ways are not our ways. But even if we don't get our immediate healing, there are things we can do. To those of us who have longed for a miracle healing, either for ourselves or a loved one, let's remember the words of Max Licato. He writes this in a story in his book that's called It's Not About Me. And it's about a friend who had cancer. Some well-intentioned Christians had told this man, if you have faith, 
then you will be healed. But no healing came, only a crisis of faith in that man's life. Max uh, Lakato suggested another answer to him, and this is what he said, it's not about you. Your hospital room is a showcase for your maker. Your faith in the face of suffering cranks up the volume of God's song. I don't know about you, but I want to live my life as a showcase for my maker. I want to be a stretcher bearer for others. I want to overcome obstacles by seeing the opportunities. I want to cause holy interruptions for the cause of Christ. I want to live in his perfect peace when I don't get my perfect plan. I want to live in awe and amazement of what God is doing. I want to rejoice in the healing of the one. In the face of disappointment, suffering, sickness, and heartache, I want to crank up the volume of God's song. I think it sounds pretty much like amazing grace. Oh, Heavenly Father, it is through your amazing grace that you sent your Son to live on this earth and to go about healing, loving others, spreading the gospel, the good news, and then making a way for us to be redeemed through the power of your grace. We receive that and we accept that today, Father. Help us, Father, to live in forgiveness Help us to realize that is the ultimate in healing, is to be healed from all of the inside scars. And when we don't get our way and our perfect plan has not been met, help us, oh Father, to ask for and receive your perfect peace. It is in the name of Jesus, your Son, I pray. Amen.